as that song says, let's be hungry for God's blessing as we read his word. So this is Mark chapter 13, and in the Church Bibles, it's on page 1018, so 1018. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out, that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. 
So be on your guard. I have told you everything in advance. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. Do take your seats. and We're going to be looking at that chapter, Mark chapter 13. Uh, not an easy chapter. Well, hopefully we'll get through it together. We're going to pray because we do need God's help. Uh, all the time, especially on a week like this. So we will pray now for God's help. Father, we ask for your help now. We thank you very much for the words of Jesus here in this passage where he says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so we pray that you would help us to trust those words, to keep on holding on in faith to you, whatever may come. In his name we pray. Amen. Remember, remember the 5th of November, that is today. We remember the gunpowder plot, 1605. I want you to imagine for a moment that you were there, uh, maybe November the 4th uh, on, in 1605. It's your first time in London. You're absolutely amazed by everything. Wow, there's Big Ben. I don't know if they called it Big Ben then, but wow, there's Big Ben. It's the Houses of Parliament. Isn't that amazing? And your friend says to you, pretty soon this place is going to be a bomb site. All those beautiful towers, all the arches, nothing but rubble. You would be shocked, wouldn't you? You'd say, what? how come? When? When is that going to happen? Now, thankfully, as we know, the gunpowder plot failed. How's the Parliament stand tall? But imagining it like that helps us get something of the shock of this passage. As the disciples are leaving the temple and Jesus drops the bombshell, if you like, that destruction is coming destruction is coming. Let's read from verse 1. 
As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. The disciples are like out-of-town tourists. They're the first time in the big smoke and they're just around everything. Going, wow, take my picture in front of the temple. That's amazing. I want Let's go to the gift shop, that sort of thing. They gobsmacked at the size of it, the grandeur of it. And it would have been an amazing, beautiful white stones decorated with gold in places. Some of the stones 40 feet wide, 12 feet high, 600 tons. It would have been absolutely amazing. But Jesus says something more amazing he says it's all coming down destruction is coming don't be impressed by all this at least don't get too attached to it because not one of these massive magnificent stones will be left in place these things that look so solid it is going to be like a game of Jenga they are all going down but why what if you remember we've been seeing over these last couple of months really Jesus coming to Jerusalem like a king returning to his capital. And the leaders there did not welcome him. He was the one they'd been looking forward to, and yet they did not have him. And he didn't much welcome them either, did he? Flipping over the furniture, declares the whole place not fit for purpose. It was very, very busy. God anymore. And so now as he leaves the place, he says, yes, it's, it's all being shut down. He's like a structural engineer, if you like, condemning the building, marking it for demolition. The temple was God's house. It was a place for approaching the Lord in worship. And so as God, Jesus is uniquely qualified to say, this is not working. It's got to go. Destruction is coming. And so they leave the city. They're in absolute stunned silence. They make their way out of the city and across and round to the Mount of Olives where you've got amazing views of the city and the temple. And they get there and, and the disciples ask him the obvious question, which is when? When? Verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us. When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled? When is it? Is it going to be right now? Do we need to get a bit further away where it's safe? Is it going to happen at the very end of time? When is it you're talking about? And how are we going to know? And those are still questions that people want answers to. The Bible is clear. Destruction is coming. God will judge the world for its sin, for its rejection of Jesus, our King, and we want to know when that is going to be. And there are whole sort of cottage industries in some Christian circles trying to predict exactly when it's going to be and say, oh, this has happened. It must be that. It must be that. It must be that. And what's fascinating about the passage is that Jesus never answers the question. He is much more concerned with making sure that we are ready for it whenever it might be. So as we go through this, let's be asking ourselves, am I ready? Not so much when is it, but am I ready for whenever Jesus returns. Am I ready for Judgment Day? It's also interesting in this passage that Jesus seems to be looking ahead to a number of different events. First of all, there's the literal fall of Jerusalem that he was just talking about. That's going to happen sooner, and he's got some practical warnings for that first generation. 
Then second, there's his ultimate return when everything is going to fall and judgment comes to all. But thirdly, there are also bits of this foreshadowing his upcoming death. There's lots of details in this that are fulfilled at the cross, which should show us that is really significant. The whole of Mark's gospel has been building up to that. So there's lots of layers to this passage. Hopefully it won't be too confusing as we go through. I've deliberately got more headings on here just so we can be clearer where we're up to with it, if you see what I mean, because there's a lot going on here. But in all of it, let's not get hung up on the when. Instead, let's focus on Jesus' priorities for us, which is that we stand firm while we wait. We need to stand firm while we wait. So the the disciples ask, when? And Jesus says in reply, watch out. Watch out that you're not deceived, in verse 5. In verse 7, that you're not alarmed, that you're not worried, verse 11. Instead, verse 13, a really key one, that we need to stand firm to the end. So way more important than the when is how we react in the meantime. And Jesus is actually urging us away from speculating about those timings there are lots of things that are going to happen that might make us wobble and Jesus says stand firm so one of the things that might make us wobble while we wait would be imposters false messiahs so from verse 5 Jesus said to them watch out that no one deceives you many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many So there's going to be lots of false alarms. People saying, it's me, it's Jesus, I'm back. Finally, it's happening. Don't believe them. Don't believe them. He says something similar later in verse 21 as well. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. Even if they're performing all kinds of miracles, do not believe it. Stand firm while we wait for the real Jesus to return. When that happens, we will know about it. You won't hear about it as a rumour. Don't be deceived. Don't be worried that it's happening and that you're missing out on it. And over the centuries, many pretenders have come claiming to be him. Often cult leaders, people like Charles Manson or, or Jim Jones from the Jonestown Massacre. There was a guy I was reading about called Arnold Potter, uh, who in 1872 jumped off a cliff in order to ascend back to heaven. Unsurprisingly, he went down rather than up. And he died. If you read the Wikipedia article, list of people who claim to be Jesus, it's quite a long list, and they're generally nutcases and murderers. We would do well to ignore all of these people who claim to be him. It is not him. Stand firm. Keep trusting in the real Jesus. Another thing that might make us wobble would be global disasters. So verse 7, when you hear of wars and rumours of wars, Do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. These things are not it. It is coming later. These are normal things that will be happening in the meantime. So the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, everything that's kicking off in Gaza, when things like that happen, we're very quick to start going, is this the end of the world? It feels like the end of the world. Well, no, it's it's not, as we'll see later. These things should remind us the end is coming. It is absolutely coming. But those things in themselves are not it. The end is still to come. Don't be alarmed. This is normal. Verse 8 mentions earthquakes, famines, terrible things. But those things are not it either. They're early warning signs, but they're not it. 
It's very easy to overplay the significance of the events going on around us. The disciples really want to know a sign, and the very fact that they want to know the sign can lead them wide open to being deceived and distracted and making all kinds of mistakes. When these things are coming, we're told, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Stand firm. And in fact, Jesus takes these very painful things and gives a hopeful, optimistic picture of it. He says these things are the beginnings of the birth pains. They're the beginnings of it. They aren't the thing when the baby is actually born, but they are the beginnings of something. And that thing is birth pains. Now, if you've ever given birth, I'm looking at folks here, the Coopers there. Uh, If you've ever been present when that has happened, you will know birth pains are not a lot of fun. Pain very rarely is, is it? But birth pains, that is something expected. And that is something that is doing something. If you were not pregnant and you suddenly felt like that, you would panic, wouldn't you? What on earth is happening to me? What is happening to my body? And Jesus says, well, when we're seeing these things, feeling these things, you're not dying. You're giving birth. And that makes all the difference. All these global disasters, personal disasters, we're being told they are the first twinges of labor. And there is new life coming. So no, it's not saying, look around all the terrible things. Isn't that great? No, they are very terrible, bad, painful things. But we can have the hope that there is new life coming soon. So we don't panic at those things. We stand firm. Because lots of bad things will happen between now and the end. And in particular, in verse 9 to 13, Jesus is laying out another thing that might make us wobble. And that's persecution. Jesus wants us to be very clear. It will not be easy to follow Jesus. It will be very hard. We will face persecution and it will come from all sides. So verse 9 talks about being handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. So that's persecution from the Jewish leaders. And then it also mentions the same verse. They'll have to stand before governors and kings. That's Gentile, non-Jewish leaders. And then in verse 12, we're told it's going to come from our own families. Brothers, fathers, children turning against us for our faith. And most of us have never got into any legal trouble for following Jesus. But we will all have faced some kind of opposition. And some of us will know the pain of family members rejecting us, mocking us. And in many parts of the world, that would go to the next level of handing us over. Verse 13, Jesus tells us, everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So even if following Jesus means that everybody turns against you, keep your faith in Jesus. Stand firm. And more important than that, more important than just digging our heels in and not moving, we're told here to use the opportunities to speak. Because our temptation is going to be to shut up, isn't it? If we're getting it in the neck because we're following Jesus, well, let's just keep quiet. Let's hide. Let's stay quiet and avoid trouble. But Jesus says, no, use the opportunity to proclaim boldly. So verse 9 talks about us being sent to the authorities as witnesses to them. And they'll think, oh, yes, they're the witness in the case against them. But Jesus intends us to see that witnessing in the Christian sense of the word, of speaking, speaking the gospel. 
Verse 10 could not be clearer, could it? The gospel must first be preached to all nations. That is the priority. From now until the end, that's the church's job. To preach the good news to the world. It is not going to be an easy thing, but that is the task. Verse 11 is quite daunting, isn't it? When it says, whenever you're arrested... That makes it sound like it's going to happen quite a lot, doesn't it? Whenever that happens. And for the apostles, it did. They were always in and out of jail. And for many of our brothers and sisters around the world, that is normal. They need to know, what do I do when I'm arrested next time? And there's encouragement in there, isn't there? He says, whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit's. Now, this isn't here to excuse lazy preachers. This is not saying, oh, don't prepare, just wing it, don't worry about it. This isn't about sort of Sundays that you have in your diary. This is talking about times when the secret police come and kick your door down and drag you into court. In that situation, don't worry about the fact that you haven't had any time to prepare. Don't worry about the fact that you've got no legal representation. You have God's spirit with you. God's spirit is at work in you and through you, and he will use this scary time to spread the gospel. And the same goes if we're put on the spot by a friend with a question. Just say what you can in the moment God can use it. But we are called to say something, aren't we? To not hide away just to protect ourselves, but to stand firm and speak boldly. It won't always go well. Verse 12 says, sometimes Christians will be put to death. And yet, the amazing thing is, it says they might be put to death and still saved. That we can be saved in the end. And that is what matters. We're asking in this question, when is it going to be? When is the end? What's going to happen? And Jesus says, well, if you, whenever it is, if you want to be safe in the end, stand firm. It is a fascinating answer to that question, when, isn't it? That he just doesn't tell us. He tells us it's going to be very hard, that all these things are going to come. And we see all those things, don't we? Whether that's imposters or disasters or persecution. It doesn't mean it is the end of the world. It doesn't mean that everything's going wrong. It does mean this is an opportunity to spread the good news. So we stand firm. And then having laid out these kind of warnings, Jesus then does start addressing what is going to happen. So those things are like a sort of early warning system. They're not it, but they're a little reminder that it is coming. And then from verse 14 to 23, he starts talking about some of the things that are part of it, if you like. He talks about the great city they can see just across the valley. And he tells them that Jerusalem will fall. Jerusalem will fall. He wants to warn his disciples about something that was going to happen in the not too distant future. Verse 14, he says, When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So he's been saying all these things that are not it. And he's saying, but there is going to be something that does happen where you say, no, this is very, very significant. And that is that Jerusalem will fall. He talks about something called the abomination that causes desolation. Uh, Abomination is a terrible thing. 
something grotesque, something disgusting, something unholy. It will cause desolation, meaning misery, destruction. So he says, when you see this horrible thing, horrendous thing that ruins everything, when you see that, you will know that it's happening. But she then begs the question, well, what is it then? What, what is the abomination that causes desolation? Well, the phrase comes three times in the Old Testament book of Daniel, and it's predicting a terrible ruler who's going to come and desecrate the temple. They're going to come in and make it completely disgusting and unable to be used ahead of the time when things are destroyed. And just as Daniel predicted, it happened in 168 BC. You have the Greek king Antiochus Epiphanes. He came to Jerusalem with his armies, killing thousands, destroying the city. He made worshipping God a capital offence. And he went into the temple and set up an altar to Zeus on top of the altar and sacrificed pigs on it, the most unclean animal. There was the abomination that causes desolation. And it was etched into their national psyche. This is the worst thing that has ever happened, the worst imaginable thing. And now Jesus says to them, be on the lookout for the abomination that causes desolation. And that would have made them scratch their heads and go, what, again? Another one? Jesus is talking about when Jerusalem would fall. You can see in verse 14... At the end of it, there's a warning specifically to the people of Judea. That's the area around Jerusalem, the area Jerusalem was in. It's a particular event that's going to be a danger to anyone living nearby. And his advice is to run for the hills. Verse 15 and 16, he says, this is so serious. Do not go back inside. Don't go back to get your your coat or your photo albums or any of your precious belongings. Just run. This is not a drill. Run. Get out of there. Because there is a time that is going to bring bring days of distress, unequaled from the beginning. That's another phrase from Daniel chapter 12. And again, we know this also happened. In AD 70, the Roman general Titus came to Jerusalem. He went into the temple murdering people there and he set up banners that worshipped the emperor right inside the Holy of Holies. An abomination that causes desolation. The Romans then surrounded the city, stopping anybody getting out. For five months, people were trapped inside the city. Disease and starvation. People resorted to cannibalism. It was a horrific time. Uh, The historian Josephus says 1.1 million people died. 97,000 people afterwards were enslaved. Everything burned to the ground. All of the valuables stolen. The temple demolished and to this day never rebuilt it was an unbelievably final thing that brought an end to everything that had been happening in Jerusalem up to that point brought an end to Judaism as it was exactly as Jesus predicted that actually Jerusalem fell and we see here the stark consequences for rejecting Jesus When he comes, when God himself finally comes to his people and is rejected, that is so, so serious. And yet in here we also see Jesus' love for his people. He gives advanced warning. Let the reader understand. 
Take note, be prepared. When you see that, when you see the abomination standing there in the temple, remember this and get away before the siege begins. And the historian Eusebius tells us many Christians did heed the warning. They fled north to a city in the hills called Pela. Verse 18, Jesus says to pray it won't happen in winter. It didn't happen in winter. Verse 20, again, Jesus' sovereign care. He says, if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. So God, in his love, has made this disaster as serious and final as it is, but also briefer than it could have been, so that more of his people, his elect, his chosen ones, survive. In all sorts of ways, Jesus is taking care of his people. Just imagine being one of those Christians in AD 70. How glad you would have been that Jesus gave you advance warning. If you were a Christian further afield, hearing the dreadful news of what's happening back in Jerusalem, how reassuring it would have been to know this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. And for us today, AD 70 was a long time ago, but this should be comforting to us that everything is under Jesus' control. He cares for, protects his people, even while he judges those who reject him. It is that, that old saying, isn't it? I, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And in fact, the one who holds the future tells us little bits about what the future holds so that we can trust him all the more. They needed to hear that warning. They needed to hear that warning, and when they saw it, say, right, let's get out of here. And likewise, when we hear the warnings about what is coming next, we need to hear it and get ready now. That was talking about a particular event in their future, our past. Verse 24, though, onwards, Jesus is pointing further ahead to a time after Jerusalem falls, to when Jesus will return. Jesus will return. Verse 24 and 25, Jesus is quoting bits from Isaiah about the end of the world. He says this, But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. These are quotes from various places in Isaiah, sort of squished together, and times when Isaiah is talking about the day of the Lord, the final day of judgment for all nations, a day when it's not just cities and stones that are going to fall, the universe is going to collapse, stars falling out of the sky, planets shaking, sun and moon blown out like a candle. See, Jesus has been saying all these times about things that are not the end. Those things are not the end. They're a sort of early warning system, but they're not it. This is it. When Jesus himself returns verse 26 says at that time people will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory he's talking about himself the son of man there as he refers to himself very often it's a name taken yet again from the book of daniel where we see a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven one who is a, a man and yet is made king over everything Daniel says that he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus will return. And when he does, every eye will see him. There will be no mistaking it. There will be nobody going, I heard a rumor that he... No, everyone will see him coming on the clouds of heaven. He will finally be recognized as the Messiah that he is for all the nations, which is why in the meantime, the gospel needs to go to all the nations. Because this is going to be worldwide. This isn't just talking about one city. This is global, and there will be no escaping it. No escaping it unless, of course, we've listened to Jesus' words and are ready. Because for Jesus' people, there is nothing to fear about that day. Verse 27 is a wonderful picture of of Jesus sending his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world. And from all over heaven, whether we're alive or dead, wherever we've been scattered on that day, we will be gathered in to be with him. That is the future that we're looking forward to. We ought not to worry about what will happen in the end. We ought to look forward to it. To when there's no more confusion, no more doubt, no more wars and rumours of wars, no more disasters, no more persecution. Instead, absolute peace and security and joy when the Son of Man comes to reign. That is where our eyes need to be fixed. Right there and then on when Jesus returns. Is that what we're focused on? Is that what we are looking forward to, where all our hopes are? Is that a day that we are ready for? It must be. It needs to be. But there is something else. Before he returns, before Jerusalem falls, uh, something else is going to happen. From this point to the end of Mark's gospel is all about the cross. So this is the last one we're doing for a while in Mark. We're going to come back to it, God willing, uh, to tackle it around Easter so that we sort of hit the cross at the right time, resurrection on Easter Sunday, that kind of thing. And after two years, we'll finally finish Mark's gospel. But... um, In these chunks, this is the end of one chunk before the final chunk of Mark's gospel, which is all leading up to the cross. And so in what he's saying, he's preparing them as well for what's ahead. He wants them to see the cross is the beginning of the end. The cross is the beginning of the end. Lots of the things in here are foreshadowed in Jesus' death. So in just a few days, Jesus would experience what he describes in verse 9 to 12. He would be handed over to the council, flogged, dragged before governors, arrested, brought to trial, betrayed by a close brother, put to death. All of those things he says, that's going to happen to you. That happens to him. And through it all, he stands firm. He quotes these same bits from Daniel 7 about the Son of Man during his trial. All of his comments about the destruction of the temple are used against him as if he's threatening to blow it up. They talk about him saying in his trial about how he'd destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days when that was clearly talking about himself because Jesus is the temple. He is the meeting place of God and man. He is the person we have to come to If we want to meet with God and know God, in killing Jesus, they are committing a terrible, terrible evil. There's a great book called The Cross from a Distance. In that book, Peter Bolt, this guy, suggests the crucifixion of Jesus is the abomination that causes desolation. 
certainly an abomination that causes desolation. What greater sacrilege could there be than to take God himself, torture and murder him? That is the ultimate desecration, worse than Antiochus, Epiphanes and Titus and all the rest. The cross, we are supposed to see that and think that is the worst thing that has ever happened. It is a sign of the end. So when Jesus dies in Mark 15, the temple curtain is torn. As we're saying, now that has happened, this temple is now no longer required. It is soon going to be knocked down. The cross is the beginning of the end, not just for the temple, but for the world. In verse 24 of our passage, Jesus says, at the very end of time, the sun will be darkened. And what happens when Jesus is on the cross? Mark 15:33 we read at noon darkness came over the whole land until 3 in the afternoon. We're supposed to see the cross and think the end of the world is happening early. There at the crucifixion it is judgment day in miniature as wrath is poured out on him as the temple of him is destroyed. The cross is so significant. It is the most important thing we can understand. When we see that happening, we know we are in the last days. Jesus is coming very soon. So what should we do? What should we do? Be ready. Be ready. If the end is soon... We need to be ready. We need to have our faith firmly fixed on Jesus and be faithfully serving him to the end. We need to be ready. The chapter finishes off with two kind of word pictures, two little stories that make that point about a fig tree and about a master. So fig tree first, verse 28. He says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening you know that it is near, right at the door. Now, the Mount of Olives, uh, despite its name, didn't just have olives on it. It had lots of figs as well. We saw what happened to an unfortunate fig tree uh, a few weeks ago. And Jesus says, when you see the fig tree starting to come into bloom, you know summer is coming. It's one of those early ones in the season. It comes, you go, oh, the weather's going to be changing. A bit like you might go, I saw my first daffodil today, and you know spring is coming. Or, or maybe I saw my first Christmas advert this week. Uh, holidays are coming, that kind of thing. It's the thing you see that and you know the next thing is going to come. And Jesus says, well, you see these things happening, all the kinds of things he's mentioned in this chapter. You know that Jesus is coming. So if any of this rings a bell, you say, I've seen that. I know that. Well, then take that as leaves on the tree that Jesus is coming soon. Be ready. We won't be able to say we weren't warned. We should picture him right there at the door, kind of finger on the doorbell. Verse 30 ties these things to those first events. Jesus says it will happen in their lifetime, and it did. The cross, the sun going dark, the destruction of Jerusalem, the false messiahs, the global disasters, the persecution, the gospel preaching, all of that did happen in that generation. And the stuff that is yet to happen as it has its full fulfillment in the future, that is just around the corner, Be ready. Be ready. And we want to say, when? 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 When is it going to be? And from verse 32, Jesus actually answers the question. It's the first time he's actually answering the question. And the answer is, 
Don't know. Verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. That's amazing, isn't it? In his humanity, Jesus chose to limit himself. He chose to not make full use of his divinity. So at that point, even Jesus doesn't know. So if Jesus doesn't need to know, I'm pretty sure you and I don't need to know. Instead, in answer to the question when, Jesus says, be ready. Verse 33, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. The fact that we don't know should lead us not to speculate, but to get ready. Maybe this is just me. If I knew when it was going to be, I might ignore it until the last minute. I don't know if that's how you deal with things generally. If you knew for a fact that Jesus would return in the year 3023, that might slow you down. But Jesus wants us ready now. And so he tells a story about a master going away for a bit. Verse 34, this boss gives jobs to his workers, tells them to keep watch. He says, basically, I don't know when I'm coming back, but I need you to open up for me. So when you see me coming up the drive, I want you to unlock the door. He's gone all day. They could say, well, he's not here. He's obviously not coming back. He is coming back. We just don't know when. Evening, midnight, the wee small hours of the morning, the crack of dawn. Whenever it's going to be, the doorman needs to be ready. Everyone needs to have done their jobs. Don't be caught napping. Be ready. And the point's obvious, isn't it? Jesus is that master. He's gone away for a while, but he is returning. So be ready. He could come back any second. I might not get to finish this sermon. Are you ready for when he comes? Destruction is coming. Terrible judgment on sin towards everyone who is a sinner, which would be all of us. The only way to be ready is to trust in the Lord Jesus, to trust in the one who, as we've just seen, faced judgment day for us on the cross. And to stand firm with our faith in him. Those who reject him, if we just read through this passage, are going to face desolation and dread and distress. And yet those who are his loved ones, his chosen, will be secure. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so despite all of this, Jesus keeps reassuring us, do not be alarmed do not worry. There's a day coming, and it's going to be a terrible day for some, and a glorious day for believers. So be ready. Stand firm, serving, proclaiming, waiting for him to arrive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for these words of Jesus. Thank you that he has told us enough. We don't know when, and yet we do know enough to be ready. And so I pray for each one of us here that we will take these warnings seriously, that we would be ready by trusting in him, and that nothing would distract us or discourage us or make us doubt or wobble. Instead, that we would stand firm to the end. We do ask, Lord, that you would come quickly. That is what we look forward to. So help us to be ready and to stand firm on that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.